this is where your roots and how your upbringing plays a role because then it helps you step back and think about the choices that you're going to make and, and whether or not you're going to do it. And yes, college is a learning experience, but it doesn't mean you have to learn from every single experience. <laughs> so that's very important. You are listening to the Concierge Minister Podcast, a place to grow, learn, and be inspired as you discover God's purpose for your life. Here's your host, the pastor you've always wanted without the church, Dr. Kumar Dixit. Welcome back to another episode of ConciergeMinister.com. You know, I've I've been taking a little time off. Um, It hasn't really been intentional. I've just haven't had a chance to record and edit. And so I am really glad that I have a very special guest, someone that I've known for a long time, Dr. Reginald Garçon. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It is my pleasure to join you. Yes, we've known each other for several years and I'm totally honored to join you today. Well, I'm glad that you're on and I want to talk to you actually today. It's a little bit of a different topic, but that is getting your kid prepared for college. And I think it really means a lot more to me right now because I have a high school senior right now and I have a child who I have a child who is doing very well academically. She's already been accepted into many colleges and universities. She's actually declared where she's planning on going. But I gotta tell you, Matt, whew, this is very different from 1992 when I went to college. <laughs> I can understand, yes. Lots very, of change. Yes, very, very different. And, and I think part of it also is that I didn't really have the, the, the family support you know, so it's truly a miracle. Like I got into college. I don't know how they got all my records. I don't know how they got like everything properly done, but somehow I did get in. But, you know, we know, especially for those of us who are in the Asian and South Asian communities, college preparation is a full-time business, man. <laughs> we got tiger parents that are preparing their children for school. You got, you got people paying hundreds of thousands of dollars forging documents taking pictures of their children on the elliptical row machine to get them into the college of their choice and so today we're not going to show you all the easy ways to bypass it we're going to talk about the hard way and dr garcon who has been in academia for many many years and is a registrar at a local university is going to talk to us about that so tell us just tell us your creds tell us why Um, you're interested in this, and tell us about the book that you also recently wrote. Thank you very much. I have been in higher education for over 20 years in a variety of different areas, um, dealing from orientation to new students, student life, uh, of course, now dealing with registration as the registrar, uh, student activity, so a variety of different experiences. And throughout that, I've, of course, learned a lot and I've kept notes and I've done presentations and things like that. And one of the things that struck me when I was having a conversation with my sister not too long ago was, you know, you should just write a book about it. And I already had my notes. I've done PowerPoint. So I, in essence, put it all together. So right Mm. now, a couple months ago, I published my first ebook mm-hmm. through Amazon Kindle, and it's called Dr. Reggie's 
college checklist. Yes, 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 yes. I love it. I love it. I love the picture on, on the cover of your book as well. So I'm really proud of you for doing that. So, you know, the people who are going to be listening to this podcast obviously are listening because they want to learn some some ways to get their kid into college, what they actually need to know. So, so how soon should somebody really start preparing and thinking about and don't start like with like kindergarten because I'm gonna I we don't want to hear that tell us like what's the what's the soonest yet latest we should start thinking about getting our kids ready for, for college gotcha okay so so I'll take the kindergarten answer out of what I was about to say okay so I'll do that <laughs> okay. well I would say at the earliest they could even start in the 10th grade Okay. And so when your child is in high school, there are some certain things that they can do to prepare themselves for the college experience. And it's really about building that portfolio. And you're like, portfolio? Well, at the end, when it's time to apply to college, you'll have to write a college essay. Mm-hmm. And the essay is going to sort of describe who you are, what you've been involved in, why should we accept you as a possible candidate to our school? So once you begin in high school, get involved in different clubs and organizations. If there's something that's there that doesn't exist, start it. Mm-hmm. Um, and your extracurricular activities is all things that you can add to your college uh, essay. Mm-hmm. as well as as you're meeting and interacting with different people, those are the same individuals who can assist you in writing a recommendation. So community service, being involved in church, Pathfinders, the gamut is, it, it varies. Mm-hmm. So, so go ahead. Uh, I was, I'm saying basically you have to build a resume of what you've been doing and what, what kind of contribution you've already made and why you're going to be a great citizen to the college or university that you're going to. Is that really what, what you're saying? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And then the next thing I would say in terms of a resource, and the reason why I said 10th grade is because a lot of schools have early admissions. Students can get accepted as a 10th grader. What? Yes. So you could start early, get accepted, and it even opens up more opportunities because there might be other possible scholarships, which we'll talk about later, that an individual can be eligible for. Okay. So you're talking about the the essay. Well, you know, when I, I used to work at a university and I was part of the missions team and also sat on some of these, you know, committees that looked at entry, right? So, so these days, what are they looking for when they're looking at an essay? Because some kids aren't good writers, but they have a compelling story. Some kids have professional coaches who are helping them write their essays. I'm not going to point at anybody who did that with their child, but I'm just saying it can happen, right? Of course. So, so, so what what do you do to try to even the playing field to find the right student? So the first thing, and you said it, what is your story? What is your journey? What is your passion? Or why have you decided on a particular field of study? Mm-hmm. Those are different target areas that can help frame what your story is about. And then you go ahead and write about that. It could have been something as simple as, well, because I had a family member 
who was ill and I helped assist. And therefore that began my appreciation for the health sciences, for example. Mm-hmm. That might, I mean, that might be, a, you know, someone's story or it, or it could be something traumatic that might have happened that they, that they've learned from. So it, it, it all varies, but ultimately what's your story and what are you trying to do? And the other thing I wanted to say now, you, there will be those individuals that's like, well, I don't know what I want to do. So what should I write about? Uh, so, so, so that is a challenge, but how do you use that? There's still things that you are good at. What have mm. you been involved in? You can focus on those things. And if you don't have a, a specific thing in mind, think about how maybe you just want to be a better citizen, you know, how yeah. you want to give back to the community, mm-hmm. let those things be your focus. So, so that it doesn't necessarily matter which path you in, you just know that you want to contribute and be impactful to others. So do, do colleges look down at the fact that a student is undeclared for a major? No, not at all. In, in fact, at the institution where I work at, as well as other institutions, it's not uncommon to have a lot of undecided, undeclared, or they may call them students who are in a general studies major. That is not uncommon. And the beauty of the thing is, research has shown that students in college tend to change their majors four to five times before they even graduate. Right. right. So it's it's not uncommon. So if you don't have a clear path, that is okay. That is not a problem. Okay. Okay. That's, that's helpful to know. Um, what are some of the common issues students are currently facing, you know, trying to get into college? What are some of the things they just don't realize or the parents don't know to help advocate for them? So one of the first things I know, it's all about deadlines. Mm. So many people miss key deadlines. For example, each year, March 1st is a deadline. It's a crucial deadline. That is the deadline for students to apply for financial aid, the FAFSA. Mm -hmm. And so if you apply by that particular deadline, then it opens you up to other grants and scholarships that's available by that deadline. So that is key. And let's stop right there, because I don't think a lot of people know that the FAFSA has a limited amount of money, meaning there's a bank account. And once it's done, it's done. So if you're getting in the early in the line, you're going to more likely get money. But if you like are one of the last people who you know keeps delaying, you're going to may not have access to all the money that the people who applied on March 1 did. Is that is that, am I correct? Oh, you are totally correct. You're totally okay. correct. And in addition to the FAFSA, there are other scholarships, which I know we'll talk about in, in, a, in a little bit, that may follow not only that deadline, but they may have their own deadline. So the sooner you begin the process of research to -hmm. know what's available and what deadlines and that you already have a a working uh, college essay, then it makes it easier because a lot of the different essays and scholarships, they want to know about you. They want to know if you have a particular need. For example, uh, maybe this is the first, you're the first one in your family that's going to college. That's Mm. a story within itself. Or Mm. maybe you're footing the bill all by yourself. That's, Mm. that's a story within itself. So you have to find out what, what's your story, what makes it unique. Yeah.
You're listening to the Concierge Minister Podcast. Well, what's another thing that people need to kind of realize? We talked about deadlines. What's another thing parents or students often just don't realize how important it is? So regardless of the school you're applying to, application fees. Oh, There's a Lord. fee for everything. Yes. So, but here's the thing, and you may not know that. Every school, I, I doubt if I could find one, but in general, the majority of the schools have some type of waiver process for the application fees. Okay, slow so, down, slow down, bro, slow down. Because now we're talking about some free money. Yes, well, and, and actually it, it's just money you don't have to pay. Yeah. So when working with the admissions department, you simply ask, what's the criteria for getting the application fee waived? Mm. A, a lot of schools allow that because if you're paying $25, 50, 100, it may vary and you're applying to 7 to 10 different schools, that's a lot of money that you could have saved as a down payment for your first semester. Yeah, exactly. And I know I know several um kids in in my world that only applied for a couple colleges because they were like I can't afford to keep sending out application fees. So so listener, listen to what Dr. Garcon said. What is the criteria to get my application fee waived? Yes. Yeah, that's Be deep. Because in my opinion, the application fee, that's just step one. They really want you to apply. So, yeah. so to create more barriers for you just to apply and get in, th that makes no logical sense. Mm -hmm, okay, mm -hmm. so th the fee is, you know, it's one way of saying, okay, that's your intent, but that's not the true intent. The yeah. true intent is after you have been accepted, and then there's a level of paying the confirmation fee or that first deposit. Now that's different. Mm -hmm, then you really mm -hmm. have to come out of the pocket, but prior to get it waived. Mm -hmm. No, yeah. that's that that's really, really good. All right, let's talk about money again, uh, a little bit more about money, because I, I, I got something to tell you, man. When I went to college in 1992, I had less than $500 in my hand to put down as a deposit. And one of the um, recruiters there, I ended up working in the admissions department as a student. One of the recru recruiters there, his name was Eddie Braga. Eddie, if you're listening to this, shout out to you. He said to me once, he said to me like my sophomore year, he said, Kumar, I tell every family and every student that doesn't have the funds to come into college and they say, they can't afford it. They say, he says, I don't use your name, but I say, if Kumar Dixit can go to college and pay for it somehow, any human being can do it. And he says, I, I often tell students, you know that new Toyota that you just drove up in here with because of your graduation gift? You could afford college if you didn't have that. Uh, Kumar Dixit is taking the bus these four years, you know? So, so one of the things that I always tell people is don't ever tell me you can't afford college because if I was able to get through college, now, now let me be very clear to my listener. I took eight years to get through college. People don't realize that. They just see like the name and the letters behind my name and they think, oh, look at this guy. He No, I took me eight years to finish college and I worked full time the last few years, but I still got it. You know, I still got through it. So in the same way, how can you help some families realize that it is affordable and it is within their realm to go to college? 
Perfect. So, and it, and it's a great segue. So I want to talk about several different things. First, public institutions. Mm-hmm. If you go to a public institution, there will be something in essence labeled in-state tuition. Mm-hmm. So those are for individuals who live within that state and they're planning to attend a particular university versus out-of-state tuition. Because there's a significant difference if you are in-state versus out-of-state. So that's one thing that you need to be aware of as you're doing your research. Yeah, so for those of you who live in Maryland, if you are like, you know, I really want to go to Pepperdine University, you know, pay $60,000 in California, you can. But if you take a look and see what some of the in-state colleges are, you may be shocked to see that it's like 80% less. Exactly. Another differentiating uh, element is the fact that some students, and actually this was my path, would go to a community college at first Mm -hmm. and then transfer to a university. Community colleges are cheaper and primarily your first two years, which is when students will be taking their general education courses, your math, your sciences, et cetera. So you could get that done at a community college, if you choose, at a cheaper rate, and then transfer to a university. So that's something else to consider. What, what, why is it, um, Dr. Garcon, that community college recently just has like a bad name? I mean, there's some, I mean, just Amongst, amongst college students, like, oh, I'm not going to community college. No way. It's like beneath them. And I don't get it because you're saving a ton of money and you're taking the same classes. True. Um, I, I think it's a matter of perception, especially if it's a community college within the same state or area that you grew up in. Okay. Because I remember when I lived in Florida, uh, when I... The, the image of the community college that I went to was almost, oh, it's a glorified high school mm. because you would transition from high school and then you would just go there. I happened to go there for different circumstances, but it was ultimately the path that I needed to go to. And mm-hmm. I was able to apply early, get some grants and scholarships that also helped mm-hmm. um, me in, in my path. But I think it's a matter of image, but you're right. The courses are are the same. You have to just make sure, you know, if you're planning to transfer to a particular school that what you're taking will transfer to that school. But that's part of knowing what you want to do, where you want to go, and then finding out, you know, those, those particular things in regards to transfer credits. But it does have that image, but it varies because even though it may have that image, you can still end with having a two-year degree Mm. and then transfer. And by comparison, if you go to a a four-year institution, depending on your major, you may not get that two-year degree. You'll just have to wait to get the four-year degree. So in my case, I had a two-year degree and then transferred and got a four-year degree as opposed to someone who would have been the same major but only got the four-year degree. Got it. Got it. I love it. I love it. Okay. So public institutions, um, in-state tuition versus out-of-state tuition, community college is a way to save a lot of money and get the first two years done. Correct. Um, That's really it. And another thing I wanted to also throw out just as another alternative, uh, 
you may have heard the phrase college may not be for everyone, mm -hmm. but that also comes from the standpoint, some people are very gifted in certain skills. Mm -hmm. So going to a trade school, to learn a particular craft, whether it's uh, something auto mechanic or something cosmetology or culinary, those are specific skills that you can go to a different type of school. It's still higher education. It's still getting a degree, but it allows you to finish at a quicker pace, but it's specifically honing in on a, a gift, a skill that you have or a passion that you have for a particular area. Okay. I like, I like that. Can we talk about scholarships for a minute? Because I mean, I got a ton of scholarships in college um, from the college that I went to as well as outside. I mean, I got an alumni scholarship. I got a music scholarship. I got an academic scholarship. I mean, I, I, I got scholarships where they were like, well, you're not allowed to combine three of these together, but we'll let you do it. You know, mm -hmm. and they, they, you know, they, you made a special appeal and they, and they did it. And, you know, when I was growing up, there was like a book that was like three inches deep that you could get at the library. And it was like every scholarship known to man, you know, and you just applied and try to get, you know, the Daughters of the Revolution scholarship, you know. Exactly. So, so where can people go to find resources these days to get scholarships? Lots of different places. So um, I will rattle off a few. Okay. And I know within my ebook, and which is, I'll talk a little bit about this later, but it's free to Amazon Kindle members, uh, okay. subscribers. But if not, it's $9.99 and, it, and it's a quick read and it gives you specific action steps. Mm -hmm. But okay. first, when you apply to a school and you're filling out the FAFSA, there's some automatic scholarships by default based on your criterion demographics that you can qualify for. Okay. So that's number one. Similar, as you mentioned, at your school, there may be programmatic scholarships. So if you're a music major or whatever, there's, there's scholarships regarding that. There can be academic scholarships based on your GPA coming in from high school. Mm -hmm. So those are things that are available. If your school has a strong alumni associations, they have scholarships or endowments. So those are other things just within the institution you're planning to attend that's available. You just have to apply and know to apply. And it's okay to ask. Ask yeah. till you get tired, do you have a scholarship? And then if not, go to the next department. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, I, I remember going to the financial aid lady over and over and over again and just asking her every question just to figure it out. And they were so gracious and helpful. You're listening to the Concierge Minister podcast. Coming up. You know, I was 18 when I moved out of, out of, out of the house, but now I have an 18 year old. I'm going, she ain't ready. She ain't ready. I am scared. So what are some of the things parents should know to set their child up for success? Let's talk about living on campus. Lord, I don't want to think about this because I got a, I got a child who's about to move and live away from me. And I'm, I'm like, you know, I was 18 when I moved out of, out, of, out of the house, but now I have an 18 year old. I'm going, she ain't ready. She ain't ready. I am scared. So what are some of the things parents should know to set their child up for success? Well, first, your child or you, you need to know what kind of person you are. If you are not a people person, 
then maybe you should consider if it's available to not have a roommate. That mm-hmm. might be something you have to really be aware of where your limitations are. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the same breath, college is a learning experience. So you do need to be able to have those interpersonal relationships in a setting of living in, in, in college residence hall where you have to deal with dynamics of people. So, so that's, that's important. So you have to first examine that. But in regards to the process, early on through the admissions process, that's when you should be filling out paperwork for staying on campus. So mm-hmm. you want to make sure you meet those deadlines. Usually depending on the school, they may have certain types of um, choices that mm-hmm. you may live at. I remember back in Florida, there was a academically uh, related um, wing at a particular school. So if you met a particular criteria, you can you could um, sign up for that. Or if you're an athlete, those are things. And there's scholarships, scholarships for athletes as well. Just something I wanted to mention. Um, there's also that opportunity once you fill out that paperwork and you start corresponding with your roommate to be. So you could f- figure out, okay, I'm going to bring X. They can bring why. So you find a way to begin working together prior to moving on campus. So if someone's bringing a, a micro fridge with a little um, microwave, then, OK, fine. I will bring a TV because I have a TV already. You know, mm-hmm. things like you, you find ways to develop those relationships at first. Okay. The other thing about living on campus is that realization that you will be on your own. However, you're still guided by rules and policies. And I'm big on rules and policies because regardless of what you do, uh, there will be rules and policies. So you have to adhere to those things as well and curfews and things like that. Okay, okay. So what are some of the things that students are surprised by and they make poor decisions when they move on campus that some parents should know so they could help them prevent from making those decisions? Um, Is it just the newfound freedom? It's, you know, being out too late, not having enough, like, um, self-control to actually study and do things? So I, so I will actually speak from a personal standpoint. Okay. It, it, it was all of the above. Even though I started at a community college, when I transferred to the university, I stayed on campus. So yes, it was new, newfound freedom. Mm-hmm. And Things, I would say I sort of lived a sheltered life prior to going to a public institution, but it, it, you're going to ex- be exposed to, let's say, everything. Mm. And it doesn't matter whether you're going to a Christian, seven-day Adventist, public or private, the issues, challenges, and nuances and experiences are across the board. So to think that you're going to be immune fr- from that is not realistic. So, so that's important. So when, when it talks about, when you talk about um, dating people, mm-hmm. interactions, not necessarily that th- there'll be arguments or learning how to navigate when you have disagreements with folks, mm-hmm. that will happen. Um, believe it or not, we're, we are in a world where drugs are available where there's drinking available. So issues pertaining to, let's say, underage drinking, those things may surface. It doesn't mean your child is going to necessarily partake in it, 
but being exposed to it or being aware that it's just happening right next door or across the hall, or you know, it's it's an enlightening experience. So this is where your roots and how your upbringing plays a role because then it helps you step back and think about the choices that you're going to make and, and whether or not you're going to do it. And yes, college is a learning experience, but it doesn't mean you have to learn from every single experience. <laughs> <laughs> so that's very important. Yeah, that is good. Now, I know you're the registrar for a local university. Uh, so you're the one that, you know, makes sure everyone has like all their credits done and they, you know, they're going to, you know, people are coming to you at the end of four years crying, begging you to like waive stuff and try to give you an exemption, you know, all, all that stuff. I know you've seen it all. Yes, well, I have. What is what is the single best advice you can give a student to try to graduate um, on time and and not have those moments of, you know, begging at the end of the, the four years? What I try to tell my students, my adults, um, you are empowered to take control of your education. Mm -hmm. So you're, depending on the school, whether it's your degree audit, your program evaluation, your course of, whatever it's called, you will have access to it. So therefore you can see all the requirements that's needed and you can also track what needs to be done. Also, I suggest you take advantage of your academic advisors that are there to help support you. And if they're not doing it, get someone else. Mm-hmm. It, it's mm-hmm. just, you have to speak up. You have to take that ownership. And sometimes folks might be timid to question. It's okay mm-hmm. to question. Um, it's okay to ask things, especially if you don't understand. I, I, I encourage folks to ask the questions. I want to guide them to the answer, not always giving them the answer, but I, I want them to feel empowered. But your catalog or your bulletin that you come in with, it has all the requirements. So that's your hard copy there. But then, of course, within the system, w- whatever computer portal that you have for the school, it will outline all of your courses so you can also track what is needed. You have to take advantage of it. That's great. I'm assuming it's been computerized since I was a student because, you know, you had to kind of like use a a pencil and eraser to kind of keep up with all the classes you needed, you know. Some advice that I give to students and you tell me, I want to, I'm curious to know what you think about this, is that you can take a minimum of 12 credit hours, that's three classes, or you could take, I think, tell me if I'm, I, things have changed, up to 16 credit hours, maybe even 18 credit hours without being penalized or having to pay more. Uh, is that, what is the case these days? It all depends. Okay, okay. <laughs> so so, I, so I'll, I'll speak from my school. So 12 hours, this is across the board. It considered full-time for the purposes of financial aid. So at right. the minimum, you want to take 12 credits. Yeah. Now. The next piece of information I'll say, at the minimum, you want to take at least 15 credits a semester if your goal is to finish within four years. Thank you. See, that's that's my thing. I always tell students, don't take the 12 credits. That's only three classes. Take as many as you can, like if it's 16 or 15 credits that you're not going to have to pay extra for the extra you know, credit un- um, unit, then do it because that's going to be less work that you're going to have to do in the future years. Exactly. The other thing I would say, also depending on the school, 
the the max of whatever that range is before they have to pay extra mm -hmm. can vary. So it's okay. just something else that you have to look into and find out. Also, during the summer, oftentimes schools have a cheaper rate. Mm -hmm. So that's another time where you want to take advantage of taking courses during the summer because it helps you move towards your goal. Exactly. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great idea. And they're and I don't want to say they're easier. They're but they are easier because there's less students and less stress. And so you actually have more time with the professor and more time to actually get those classes done in the summer. So if you can even take one or two classes in the summer, I think it's a great idea. Thank you. Yes, I, I, I totally agree with it. And then if you're at a school and they're not offering a particular course, they there's always some type of petition process where you could say, oh, I want to go to X university or X community college to take this particular course. You make sure that it's approved yes. so that the credits could be transferred back from the registrar's office, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it allows you to continue that pace, even though your school may not offer it, but there's other methods of satisfying that requirement. Man, I think that's, that's really great. Tell us about the book. Where can people find the book and, and what can they do with that book? Sure. So all you have to do is go to Amazon Kindle. You type in Dr. Reggie's College Checklist. Mm -hmm. And it's a checklist that's there with an acronym of my name, Reggie, standing for resources, extracurricular activity, getting involved, getting accepted, we haven't talked about insurance or immunization, but that's coming up mm -hmm. and some other essentials. And for each area in the book, it, it lists some action items for folks. In other words, here's some information regarding some scholarships. Here's some action items. Here's some things that you should ask. Here's some other notes that you should uh, be aware of as you're trying to get these things done. And I wanted to have something that's short and sweet and quick and easy because we're in a time where folks don't have time. Mm -hmm. So if something is very easy to find and look at, then, then it's helpful. Like for example, in the area with financial aid, I have several scholarships information that's there pertaining to grants from whether it's collegescholarships.org or things regarding the alumni situation. There are a couple of specific scholarship information that I have listed that folks can take advantage of. It's a great starting point for folks. And all you have to do is take a look at that. And as I mentioned, it's free for Amazon Kindle members, but that's really the whole goal of it as, as a resource for, for folks, for parents as well as students. That's awesome. So Doc, one of the things that you talk about your book is in your book is immunizations and getting all the right health um, information in. Tell talks to us a little bit about that and how important that is. It is very, very important. And it's not exclusive to one university or not. All schools, you're planning to go there, you need to have health insurance. Mm -hmm. Of course, you have the option of having your own, being on your parents, or the schools may offer some version of health insurance, but that's just one of the requirements that you would need. Depending on the school, there's other types of immunizations that you would need to bring prior to, especially if you're planning to live on campus. Mm. So you need to be aware of those as you're filling out paperwork for living on campus to know what are the 
health requirements to stay on campus. The other thing I want to say, since we are living in a COVID-19 world right now, a lot of schools are amending their policies to add things and provisions in regards to whether or not you need to be immunized or, or vaccinated to stay on campus. So that's mm. something else folks need to be aware of because over the last couple of weeks, more and more schools are requiring as mandatory for students to be vaccinate, fully vaccinated if they're planning to stay on campus. Mm. So that's something to be aware as, as now the vaccinations are be, becoming more and more available for folks. So you need to take a look at those policies. And even though it may not be there now, things can change and things have been changing in a heartbeat re just regarding requirements. So please be aware of not only the health immunizations, but the impact of vaccinations, especially if you're planning to stay on campus. Dr. Reginald Garçon, thank you so much for joining me on Concierge Minister Podcast. Uh, I'm gonna be just totally telling everybody about this book and really great information in the book and in this podcast. Thanks for your time. Thank you, it is totally my pleasure. I, I look forward to just uh, helping people. I think that's one of the biggest things and in the intent of this book because it's not about the money especially since it's an opportunity if you are a paying member for Amazon Kindle, you could just get it for free, but it's a resource. And I want to help people. And that's just one of the things I do. And if this is one of those things, then so be it. So I do thank you for this opportunity and sharing this to everyone. Thank you. And to my listener, you can look at the show notes and you'll find more details on the book, where to find it and learn a little bit more about Dr. Garçon. Take care until next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Concierge Minister podcast. If you want to learn more about growing in your faith or looking for an online faith community for support while you're on your journey, please visit conciergeminister.com or send us an email at conciergeminister at gmail.com. Don't forget to click the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating. If you find this podcast helpful, please tell your friends about us. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, go and live your best life.